switching roles now. Um, hi, my name is Georgia, if I haven't met you before. Um, we're going to be reading the Bible now. Um, so if you don't have a pew Bible in front of you, feel free to raise your hand and one of our welcomers will come and place one in there. Um, our passage for tonight is Luke chapter 16, verses 19 to 31. And that's on page 823, if you've got one of our church Bibles. I'll let you open to that now. There was a rich man who was clothed in purple and fine linen and who feasted sumptuously every day. And at his gate was laid a poor man named Lazarus, covered with sores, who desired to be fed with what fell from the rich man's table. Moreover, even the dogs came and licked his sores. The poor man died and was carried by the angels to Abraham's side. The rich man also died and was buried. And in Hades, being in torment, he lifted up his eyes and saw Abraham far off and Lazarus at his side. And he called out, Father Abraham, have mercy on me and send Lazarus to dip the end of his finger in water and cool my tongue, for I am in anguish in this flame. But Abraham said, Child, remember that you in your lifetime received your good things, and Lazarus in like manner bad things. But now he is comforted here, and you are in anguish. And besides all this, between us and you a great chasm has been fixed, in order that those who would pass from here to you may not be able, and none may cross from there to us. And he said, Then I beg you, Father, to send him to my father's house. For I have five brothers, so that he may warn them, lest they also come to this place of torment. But Abraham said, They have Moses and the prophets, let them hear them. And he said, No, Father Abraham, but if someone goes to them from the dead, they will repent. He said to him, If they do not hear Moses and the prophets, neither will they be convinced if someone should rise from the dead. Well, good evening. Uh, my name's Andy. Uh, Georgia, do you want the, do you want these? Can I? All right. Um, uh, my name's Andy. It's great for us to be. Gosh, I feel like summer's hit, hasn't it? Yeah. Um, I think we could be longing for a bit of that water ourselves, not to minimise what we just read out. Um, uh, well, we are. Um, hitting at quite a serious topic tonight, uh, and uh, how about I just pray before we jump in. Heavenly Father, uh, your word speaks truth to us whenever we read it. Uh, it speaks into our world, our situation speaks into who you are and who we are, and Father, sometimes they're weighty, heavy things that you tell us. But Father, we pray tonight that you might give us humility, that we might hear what you're saying, uh, that we might be able to see your goodness, your justice and your love and that we might be able to praise and worship you as a result. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Well, we have hit the final week in our series, Questions for God, uh, and you've turned up to how can Christians believe in heaven and hell? Uh, so we're going to be thinking about the issue of hell together tonight. Now, I've got to say, this question 
makes all the other questions in our series pale in significance because this question is about the end of the story. It's about the eternal future of every single human being. No matter what culture, no matter what you think of love, no matter what purpose you had for, here is something which has eternal consequences and significance for everyone. Now, I'm aware that just saying the word hell can raise kind of all sorts of emotions and responses for us, can't it? I'm not sure whether you're already thinking, oh gosh, what have I turned up for uh, tonight? Uh, Many in our community, uh, because of the concept of heaven and hell, want to dismiss Christianity. They want to say it's primitive, it's distasteful, you know, it's kind of the worst of religious thinking. Uh, Aren't we in the 21st century? How can we still believe and promote such things? You know, we're open-minded, we're progressive, uh, we're civilised now. Um, You know, maybe you know people that think like that, or maybe you think like that yourself, but not just in our community. I think the topic of hell is difficult amongst Christians. Uh, Many Christians uh, think of hell and uh, struggle with trying to hold the concept of hell with the concept of God's love and think, oh, well, maybe, you know, we should as Christians just be uh, promoting a positive message of love, grace, acceptance and forgiveness in our community, in our world. And so you can go far as saying that hell is uh, something that we don't really want to talk about much. Now, part of the issue for us is that Jesus is the one who speaks about hell the most. Uh, He is the person in the Bible who speaks about hell the most and it's from his lips that we get most of our thinking of hell more than any other person. Uh, 13% of his teaching on all the subjects uh, and about 50% of his parables all teach about hell, judgment and the punishment of God. Uh, Jesus is clear when he talks about hell that it's eternal, conscious punishment forever. That's what we mean when we talk about hell. And Jesus uses all sorts of graphic vivid imagery to describe it just like that parable we just read out. It's got to be one of the heaviest parts of Jesus' word, the Bible, that you can read about. Horrific punishment, conscious torment, verse 23 and 28, anguish, inflame, verse 24. We get this fearful picture of the nature of hell Uh, and just this man, the rich man, just longing for a drop of water. Listen to not just this parable, but listen to some words that Jesus speaks when he speaks about his hell. Matthew 10, 28, he says, Do not fear those who kill the body, but cannot kill the soul. Rather fear him who can destroy both soul and body in hell. Or again, he says, If your right eye causes you to sin, tear it out and throw it away. For it is better for you to lose one of your members than that your whole body be thrown into hell. So serious a subject, so serious a topic of hell, and hell is to be avoided at all costs, according to Jesus. It's real. It's terrifying. Uh, Hell is not something of a side issue to the Christian faith. Uh, Jesus wasn't primarily concerned 
with, uh, you know, making parents happier, not making children more obedient, paying our taxes, making a better, having a better career. Uh, although, if you become a Christian, these might be side effects and fruit of becoming a Christian. Actually, Christianity at heart is about eternity. It's about the realities of heaven and hell. Matters so weighty, so significant, with much consequence for every human being. For every person, it's about their relationship with their creator. Now, this raises all sorts of questions for us, doesn't it? All sorts of questions. My hope tonight is to go to the floor, ask you guys, why do we find this concept of hell so difficult? And then have a look at how the Bible, how we might think through some of these things together. So, over to you guys. Why do we find the concept of hell, the notion of hell, so difficult? Why is it so hard for us? The forever nature of it. Yeah, what do you mean by that? Yeah. Yeah. It's a... It's a it's a fine a finality. There's no, yeah, that's right. There's no second chance. Yeah. 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 It's a deeply personal question for those whom we know that are outside of Jesus. Yeah. The implications. Yeah, that's interesting. Yeah. Uh, uh, yeah, okay. Can you just flesh that a bit more? So, what do you say? Who am I to say? Yes. Yep, yep, okay. Uh, yeah, who, who am I the judge? Am I the one that's going to know? Uh, I know where I should be, but for me to kind of cast that judgment on others is is kind of very not cultural is that is this what you're saying okay yeah yes yeah 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 uh so the did it did everyone hear that uh um it can seem unfair. So I think at one level we can see why really bad people ought to go to hell, Stalin, Hitler. But, you know, my neighbour that bakes my kids cupcakes every week, really? Like, that's, is that fair? Um, is that just? Yeah. Anything else? Uh, this morning we had a lot more at AM. A lot more issues come out, so there's still more if you want. If you want more, it, it's a really, um, it's a really helpful process, I think, just as as Christians to, to to wrestle with what you're thinking and why you find it difficult, and ask those questions. Um, yes. Yeah misconceptions about, so we find it hard because we don't understand what it actually is. We have a, mis, a misconceived idea. Yeah. 
Yes. Yeah, it was almost thrust upon us, um, the, the consequences of living for an eternity, yeah. Yeah, yeah. You hear, everyone hear that? If God is a, a God who is loving, why could, how can a loving God send people to hell? Um, yeah. We got more? I feel like we're just getting started now. Yes, uh, I, I think they can understand with the concept, but when it gets personal, is, that, is this right? That's when it gets uncomfortable. Yeah, yeah. Um, any others? I've got some more. Um, shouldn't God just be inclusive? Uh, you know, hell just sounds a little bit too judgmental, uh, exclusive. Um, you know, have you heard people say, if if hell is what God what God has what God has created, uh, and uh, why if He won't accept me for who I am, I don't want to go there. Uh, I don't want to be with Him. You know, if God's like that, I don't want to I don't want to be with a God like that anyway. It uh, seems narrow, intolerant, and judgmental and bigoted. You just Throw every word at it, exclusive. Um, another issue, I think, uh, as I've reflected and wrestled with the, the nature of hell, is um, how does a finite crime, a finite sin, uh, how is that just and right for a punishment to be for eternity? You know, is it just seems a little bit disproportional, uh, that kind of nature of it. Uh, there's... I think we have lots of, in our context, in this part of the world, we have lots of issues with the concept of hell, hence the question. Uh, my hope is just to kind of tackle, try and tackle kind of three of these ideas. Uh, and so this is what we're going to move on to, look at um, part two of the Bible's answers. Uh, and I've got my first point, it should come up. We've got, uh, what if God is actually more inclusive than we are? See, if you would think about it, if you were I to run the universe and you think, who would I let into heaven? Uh, we might want to say, I'd let everyone in, right? Say, if I'm running heaven, I'm going to let everyone in. What would you say to me? Yes, exactly. You'd say, really? Are you going to let Hitler and Stalin, Pol Pot, the Bali bombers, are you going to let them into heaven? And I think, oh, okay. Well, maybe not them. Uh, and then you'd say... But hang on, now you've got a criteria. Aren't you now being exclusive like you, the, thing, the very thing you accuse God of being exclusive and not inclusive and let everyone in? But say we don't, um, say we, there are people we don't let in, maybe we use the criteria of being good enough and I say, okay, you can welcome, you'll be able to come into my heaven if you're good enough. Uh, and you would say, really? If you're good enough? You're being exclusive, aren't you, again? And how do I know if I've been good enough to get into your heaven? Uh, can I be sure that I've been good enough? Well, maybe I'd say, okay, maybe it's not about uh, being good enough. 
Maybe uh, you can come to my heaven if you're sincere in your whatever God you believe in. Maybe it's sincerity is the, the mark in the sand that means you can come to my heaven. And you will say, really? Sincerity is the thing that's going to rule whether you'll be in heaven or not? Uh, you know, aren't you being exclusive just like the God you accuse uh, in excluding people on how sincere they are? Um, you know, how do I know? How sincere do I have to be before I can get into your heaven? And they say, okay, well, maybe it's not, you know, being good, maybe it's not sincerity, maybe it's about being authentic. Maybe uh, you've got to be true to yourself uh, to be let into heaven. Again, really? Well, how do I know? How true to myself do I have to be? You get what I'm trying to say here? I think what the struggle we have here is that we want it both ways. We want to hold that there is a different, a very real difference between right and wrong, a difference between people and the way they relate in the world, but also we expect God to be inclusive of everyone. And friends, we, we kind of just can't have our cake and eat it too. Uh, and no matter how we slice and dice it, where we draw the sand, uh, I think we will actually be more exclusive than God and his criteria. See, based on God's criteria, I think there's going to be way more people in heaven than any of the ways that you or I could run the universe. What's God's criteria? It's simple. Do you know, love and worship Jesus? That's the criteria. Jesus is the only way to God and way more people will be able to get into heaven using that criteria than any other measure. See, the thing is, I think we have the problem we have with that and the, way we, the problem we have with being inclusive is our view of people. See, you can either see people as two ways, I think, two main ways. You can either see all people in the world, humanity, as good, right? And so if people are good, then God is obligated to save all of us and let all of us into heaven. And the shock for us, if you think people are good, is that some don't get into heaven. What? That's, that's horrific. What do you mean? Uh, but there is a second way to look at people, to think about humanity, and I think this is the way Jesus and the Bible talks about it, and that's that we all fall short of where God needs us to be. And so God, on that measure, isn't obligated to save any of us. Uh, and the shock, the horror, is that God actually saves some of us, lets some of us into heaven. See, that's the wonder, that's the mercy that he lets people like me into heaven. I know my heart. I know the things I've done. I know the things I should have done that I didn't do. I know my thoughts. I tell you, if you knew all them, you wouldn't be listening to a word I said. I'd be running out the door here. But not God. That's the shock and the horror, is that God gets, lets us in if we know and love and trust Jesus. See, I think my first point is really that actually God's criteria to heaven is actually way more inclusive uh, because it's a criteria that fits everyone's need. We're all in the same boat. We all need saving at that criteria. Okay, that's the first thing. The second thing I want to consider is that uh, what if hell is actually what a fair God would do? See, we in the West, in Western society, we, we tend to think that it is unfair that there is such a thing as hell. Uh, but outside the West, however, people have the exact opposite feeling 
about God's judgment and hell. I see people who don't live in the West uh, often live and see the evil atrocities committed in the world and they think, how could God possibly be just if there isn't a place of hell? See, hell exists because of God's justice, not in spite of it for them. So, you know, if you think about the villages in Africa or Middle East or India, China, where innocent men and women and children are raped, kidnapped, tortured or killed on a daily basis. When people witness those crimes or are victim to those atrocities, the question of justice isn't just a hypothetical armchair question or a philosophical one. No, it's actually a very real one. And they cling to the fact that there is a God who is just and will hold people account for their actions. Uh, Here's a picture of Miroslav Volf. Uh, He is a theologian that witnessed much death and destruction in his home country of Croatia. Uh, He grew up in war-torn Eastern Europe, and he gets the need for justice because he has seen the gross, hideous evils and crimes and injustice. And this is what he says about our Western view that's unfair to think of hell. He says, it takes a quiet of a suburban home for the birth of the thesis of God's refusal to judge. In a scorched land soaked in blood of the innocent, it will invariably die. And as one watched it die, one would do well to reflect about the many unpleasant uh, activities of the liberal mind. See what he's doing? He's kind of, he's really having a dig at this Western concept that the justice of God is, that's unfair for God to be just. Uh, It's only if you live in the West who have never actually witnessed horrific, gross injustices that you can possibly be offended by the idea of ultimate justice. We in the West think it's unfair, but the most people, they think it's unfair if there weren't a hell. But Wolf... He actually goes on to say more than just the thought of divine justice, but actually that the reality of hell helps us to live together in peace, love and forgiveness. Uh, It's actually the fuel for for why we can uh, live in community. So he, he says, the only reason why God in the Bible can ask his followers to love, bless and forgive those who harm them is because they know One day there will be a God who will one day right all wrongs. But if there is no hell, no future righting of wrongs, that means his followers right now have to meet the cry for injustice. They have to take up vengeance for themselves, blood for blood, crime for crime. But because the followers know there is a God who is fair, who will right all the wrongs in the future, we can love, we can pray, we can bless and can forgive those who harm us. You see, hear his logic there? He's saying if there were no God and there were no uh, ultimate justice for the atrocities committed to me or my loved ones or the different communities around the world, then we, to be just, would have to take matters into our own hands and pursue justice now as much as possible. Uh, And he says hell... The concept of a divine just hell enables us to be able to offer forgiveness, to actually love in the face of being horrifically wronged uh, and because we can trust in the God who will one day hold them to account. 
It's a profound truth, what he's wrestling with here, that the Bible holds to, that there is a God who will judge, he won't get his justice wrong, he sees all things and he will right all wrongs. So it means we now don't have to pursue that in our life. It's actually a great comfort and I find it very compelling. But I think actually if we don't believe in hell, we actually have a much bigger problem because where in our world we see injustice seems to happen everywhere and we all cry out for justice and rally against injustice, don't we? Like what do we do? What, what happens? We want the person, uh, the murderer, the rapist, the child, like we want them to be held accountable. Uh, we don't want companies to be let off for their, you know, screwing the man over. We want, we, we cry out injustice, injustice. Uh, why do we all cry out for this? Because we all have a deep yearning within us for justice. Injustice is wrong and it has to be paid for. We are all moral creatures. God has made us, who holds us account for our actions and hell is about this injustice. Now, that's the first idea of divine justice that actually enables us to live in love and peace. But the second thing, like in this one, a fair God, I want us to wrestle with the idea about, you know, if you, if you offend God for 80 years and punished for eternity, doesn't that seem a little bit out of proportion? Um, there's a couple of things for us to reflect on here, I think. Firstly, even how we do punishment in society uh, it's not typically based on how long it took to commit the crime, uh, so, but it's actually based on the seriousness of the crime. So for how long can it take to murder a person? Well, if you shoot them, it doesn't take very long at all. But what do we do with those people, with a murderer? We put them in jail for life. Uh, if you're in America, you know, maybe they, they, their life gets taken. But see, the punishment there, it's based on the weight of the offence uh, and... We value human life, and so it has human value and worth. Uh, that's the first thing, that not just how punishment works in our world. Secondly, I think we fail to understand who we are. Uh, like I mentioned, are we people who are basically good, who slip up occasionally, or are we, as the Bible would persuade us, that we are actually corrupt at a, in our heart and who occasionally do good? I think if you reflect on the concept of who we are, it does shift the weight of what we deserve when we uh, think about our punishment. Um, not only uh, who we think we are, I think another thing for us to consider is who do we think God is, uh, the, the one whom we have offended. Uh, our offence against God is greater than we might have imagined. Uh, imagine for a moment uh, that you're with a mate in a pub and you have an argument and at the end of the argument, you take a swing at him and you break his nose, right? What happens? You kind of get thrown out of the pub. And I don't know if you're still mates with him or not, but uh, that's what happens, right? Now, imagine this same man comes home to his family uh, and he has a falling out with his parents. Uh, at the end of the falling out, what does he do? He takes a swing uh, and hits both of them somehow, breaks both their noses. Uh, is that... Uh, um, is that a worse thing to do, a greater offence? Same action, but it's who it against. It's against his parents. It's much worse, isn't it? You know, you'd be kind of hoping you'd be kicked out of home or something. Now, ratch that up a little bit more. Imagine uh, you're with King Charles. Uh, you meet King Charles. You know, you have a bit of a falling out with him. 
you take a swing and you break his nose, um, you know, who's the offence there? Well, you kind of, it's against King Charles, but it's against the whole Commonwealth, isn't it? You know, you say your punishment would be much greater because of who you've offended. Now, ratch this up even further. Your sin is against the God of the universe, the eternal God who rules over the planets, the solar system. He's the one who makes your heart beat, gives you everything. Your act against this God is a far weightier crime because of who you have offended. Uh, Australian culture is to just treat everyone the same, but to treat God as just a mate in the pub is a totally different thing to treat him as he truly is. Now, to ignore and to offend God is to ignore the Lord of all things, the one who has given you life, breath and everything else. And to dismiss him is on a whole other layer of consequences for you. So I think, you know, as we think about punishment, as we think about who we are, as we think about who God is, we kind of can come to see how maybe a finite crime against an infinite God can uh, possibly lead to a punishment uh, that will roll on for a long time. Um, but there's a couple of other things I want us to reflect on here too. Uh, firstly, I think we might assume that people stop sinning in hell. Uh, in the story that we read out, the, the parable where Jesus is talking there, it, you know, it's, a, it's a graphic story where Lazarus, so where the, the rich man's in hell and he calls out, uh, while in hell. Have a look at verse 24 there. He calls out and he says, Father Abraham, have mercy on me and send Lazarus to dip the end of his finger in water and cool my tongue, for I am in anguish in this flame. Now, now just picture this. You are where this rich man is in anguish. You get one request. What are you going to ask for? What are you going to ask for? A bit of water from the, the person that you ignored at the gate? No. You're going to say, have mercy on me. You know, get me out of here. I'm, I've been rotten. I'm wrong. I'm sorry. Uh, let me come to you to heaven. But you notice that in this story, the rich man, he doesn't repent. He just asks for water while he's there. He doesn't repent towards God or his actions towards Lazarus. He's unrepentant. Uh, his heart of unrepentance continues for eternity this is how uh, a scholar don carson puts it he says hell is not full of people who have learned their lesson hell is people who refuse to repent and that is why hell is ongoing cycle of sin rebellion and judgment Friends, this is heavy right it's weighty but those in hell in their life, they chose not to bow their knee and they chose to live for themselves. And for eternity, they continually choose to do the same thing. They do not want to repent and bow the knee. Lastly, on is it just of God? I think we might also assume that every person gets the same punishment in hell. And I just don't think the Bible has this assumption so part of our issue is that we think, well, does Hitler and Stalin get the same punishment as my friend, my neighbour who makes my kids cookies? But I think the Bible uh, leads us to think, no, it, it's not the same punishment. 
Uh, turn with me to Matthew chapter 11. Uh, there seems to be differing degrees of suffering and punishment. Uh, Matthew chapter 11, verse 21. Uh, Jesus is speaking uh, to unrepentant cities uh, and he says, Woe to you, Chorazin, woe to you, Bethsaida, for if the mighty works done in you had been done in Tyre and Sidon, they would have repented long ago in sackcloth and ashes. But I tell you, it will be more bearable on that day of judgment for Tyre and Sidon than for you. And you, Capernaum, will you be exalted to heaven? You will be brought down to Hades. For if the mighty works done in you had been done in Sodom, it would have remained until this day. But I tell you that it will be more tolerable on the day of judgment for the land of Sodom than for you. You hear what Jesus, there seems to be a differentiation of these cities and of, and presumably of the punishment for the people in these cities. Uh, if you want to look at it further, you can look at Luke 12, 47 and 48. Uh, you can look at uh, Luke 20, 47. Uh, but we can talk about those later if you want to ask me about it. But it's not one size fits all punishment. Uh, the Bible is clear that your experience of heaven, sorry, of hell, and actually I think of heaven, is based on what we do with what we know. It's proportional to the lives and the choices we all make every day. All that is to show that we can be confident of what God does for punishment will be fair. No one will be able to cry unfair to God and we won't be able to say that was overkill, too harsh or too strong. Okay, I have one last thing I want us to think about and this is, the next question is, um, what if hell is actually a loving thing of God to do? See, what if the concept of hell is actually about love? See, true love, I think, means that we don't actually turn a blind eye to wrong actions, but truly loving means that when we are wronged and hurt, we are rightfully angry. I remember watching a Netflix series uh, of a husband and wife who were no longer in love with each other. Uh, and in this one, the, the wife had an affair with another man, and uh, when the affair was exposed, the husband, he didn't care. He was indifferent. Uh, and so what happened is the wife confronted the man and said, I thought you would be more angry. See, the lack of anger and the man's just lack of care and indifference shows that he doesn't actually love the wife anymore, doesn't it? He didn't care what she did. See, the opposite of love is not anger, but it's actually the opposite of love is actually indifference. It's, it's not caring. And sometimes the loving thing to do is to be rightfully angry. See, I think hell exists because God is loving. He's too loving. And he loves people too much to just be indifferent to their actions. He's angry and rightfully angry at how we've shamed and dishonoured and wronged him. He must judge because he cares so much. If he didn't love, he'd just be indifferent. Do whatever you want to do. But he does love us and he holds us to account. Um, another uh, 
thing we have when we say, how can a loving God you know, be angry and hold people to hell, uh, is the sense of what makes us think that God is loving? So how can we say that God is loving? See, there's no other major religion in the world where God is loving. Uh, Greek mythology, the gods are immoral. Uh, they're evil and cruel. They're not loving. Uh, Asian, I think, they're mischievous and capricious. Like they, they always work against you. They don't want you to do well. But somehow we've got the idea that God is loving, that he's for us and he wants you to do well. We've got to ask the question, where do we get that idea from? Where do we get that idea that we're holding against God? See, Christianity is the only one that portrays God as love. And where do we get that idea? Well, we get it from the Bible. So if we want to say God is loving, we need the God of the Bible to be true. And if we want God to be true, then the whole Bible has to be true. But we kind of can't just pick and choose what we think is true about God, can we? It's either all or nothing, which means we'll have to believe in the bits that are hard for us to believe in, even if we don't entirely understand how it all works. Now, we started off with a whole bunch of reasons why we find why hell offends us, uh, and what I've tried to show is that God is more inclusive, he's more just and loving and good than we might have first imagined. And it's actually because he loves us that there is a hell. See, Jesus gives us this vivid warning. Hell is eternal, conscious punishment. It's a place of torment. It's devastatingly real and tragic. But he teaches us more than any other teacher does because he loves us. He cares for us and he wants to speak into this more than anyone else. And often he speaks with tears in his eyes. He tells us because he wants to warn us not to go there. He knows the future we'll all have to face and he says, you don't have to go there. I have done something about it. Uh, in, the, in Luke chapter 16, uh, he, ends, he ends there in uh, verse 30, uh, 29 where you know, these, the, uh, the rich man in hell wants to warn his friends. And what does he say, verse 29? He said, Abraham's replied to him, they have Moses and the prophets. Let them hear them. And he said to no father Abraham, but if someone goes to them from the dead, they will repent. He said to him, if they do not hear Moses and the prophets, neither will they be convinced if someone else should rise from the dead. The Lord Jesus, as he warned his people about this, in a few moments proved his love for us. He hung on the cross. He experienced the judgment and anger of God himself. But he did not just stay dead. He was risen to life in, and risen to eternal life. See, Jesus spoke about hell knowing that there was a way out, a solution, and he provided it. We, even though we deserve it, we can be free from it because he suffered in our place. Friends, the obvious question for you and I is, where do we stand before this loving and just God? Have you turned and thrown your lot in with Jesus, the only one to be saved? Do you trust him as your only way? And this is too serious and real and a matter to, and with enormous consequences to be put, to put off for another day. 
Can I say, speak to someone after, if this is you, chat to whoever you want and say, I just want to dig into this uh, and ask more questions because uh, Jesus warned us time and time again of this reality. Now, if you are a Christian and you are following and trusting Jesus, keep following and trusting him. Keep thanking him for his love, his justice and his mercy to you. Uh, I think, though, for us as a Christian life, sometimes we can live out of sync with the realities of hell and that we believe and know to be true. See, I don't know about you, but I find it easier to life go through life just thinking this life is it, that it's about the here and now, when actually the most confronting thing every human being I know is they're going to stand before God and they're either going to be under his condemnation or they'll be in his salvation in, in Jesus. It's a desperate need that God has given us to speak of these things, to speak of these realities and the salvation that comes in Jesus. Uh, there's a, a famous guy, you've probably heard this story of Rico Tice. Uh, he wrote kind of a, a Christian Explore course uh, and he tells a story uh, when he eventually, after years, uh, convinced his mate to come along to the course that he wrote. Uh, and he was up to week two, I think week two or three, where they talk about heaven and hell. Uh, and, you know, they did the course and he went out for a beer with his mate and uh, Rico asked him, you know, how'd you find it? Uh, and he said, I'm angry with you, Rico. And so Rico's kind of like, yeah, I'm sorry, mate. You know, it's just, this is in the Bible. Jesus talks about heaven and, and hell. Uh, you know, it's, and he said, no, I'm angry that you've been my friend, that you say you love me and you've kept this from me for the last 20 years. It's confronting, isn't it? It's true. How can we, if we love people, not tell them about the hope, the salvation we have in Jesus? I get it. It's scary. It's awkward. It's uncomfortable to talk about these things. But we must speak out of love to those around us. Jesus loves, drives us to do so. We have great news and he has provided a wonderful solution for everyone. Uh, why don't we pray? Our Heavenly Father, these realities are so weighty. Uh, they're so weighty for us who know our own hearts and know up to ourselves would be under your condemnation. They're weighty because we know of those who don't yet trust in Jesus. They haven't bowed their knee, they haven't repented, and we know what that means for their eternity. Father, we thank you that you are fair, that you are just, and you are loving. Father, thank you that you sent Jesus to live and die for us. And Father, we pray that we might be like Jesus and that these words of salvation will be on our lips to all around us. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.